if you're just interested in taking one mushroom uh, as a supplement, I would highly recommend reishi mushroom. Mm-hmm. Reishi mushroom is what we call a polypore. It doesn't have gills, it has pores. Right. Reishi is actually hard and woody. So it's not a mushroom that you would eat. It's only used for medicinal purposes, maybe making a tea or something and supplement form, it would come in a powder. Reishi is considered to be kind of the top medicinal mushroom in Asia. It's called the mushroom of immortality. Mm-hmm. We all want to be immortal. Yes. Um, and, and it has a very high amount of these beta-glucans. It also has other compounds in there that are called triterpenoids. These triterpenoids make that reishi mushroom bitter. So, mm-hmm. so if you happen to have a reishi supplement, uh, pour, take it out of the capsule and taste it. If it is not bitter, it's not reishi. And this mm-hmm. goes back to all these grainy products out there. Right. Hi everyone, and welcome back to our show, the Eat Real to Heal podcast, where I am your host, Nicolette Riche. And many of you know that I teach the Gerson therapy, which is a metabolic nutritional therapy, which really that just means we use plant-based whole foods in an unrefined way. So there's no refined products. And we couple that with cooked food, raw food, juiced food. Um, Juicing is important because it is like an IV transfusion of nutrients directly into your bloodstream without having to affect your digestive system and extract energy from digestion. And instead you get to use that energy for regeneration of the body's tissues to repair tissue damage syndrome, which then inadvertently helps your body to regenerate. And when that happens, your body gets back its healing abilities that you're naturally born with, and then you can reverse your chronic degenerative diseases, reclaim your life, and realize that potential that you were born with. Now, that is what I teach to my clients. But as many of you know, on the Gerson protocol, mushrooms are not consumed. So I haven't had anybody on our show until today that uh, to talk about mushrooms, other than a few clients who've talked about how they've used um, mushrooms in their mental health healing, but not from a overall body health perspective. So I am so excited to introduce Jeff Chiltern onto our show. He has over 40 plus years of experience working with growing mushrooms. He started Namex, which is one of the first companies that has looked at um, bringing medicinal mushrooms to the US market. The reason why I chose Jeff to be on our show is because of the fact that he is also a leader in the organic mushroom cultivation, production, and distribution channels as well. And that is really important to us because we do not have any tolerance at all for pesticides, insecticides, herbicides, um, any toxic chemicals that are going to further damage the body when the work we are doing is to help uh, the human body help you extract those toxic chemicals out of your body so they're no longer harming you. So organic is very important to us, which is why I agreed to have Jeff on our show. But not only that, but I mean, he is a genius when it comes to mushrooms. This man knows everything. And today we just get to touch on such a tiny little bit of what it means to 
grow mushrooms, utilize mushrooms for your health, and how you can introduce them into your world starting today. Now, because I don't live on the Eat Real to Heal protocol and the Gerson therapy, I do eat mushrooms. But I mean, we live by its principles that it's always organic and it's always whole food and it's always unrefined and it's always free of pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, and other toxins. So our family lives by those principles, which is why, you know, knock on wood, we are a robust, healthy family. Uh, there's no medications in our house. We don't even have Tylenol. Um, and that's because we believe in, and we know actually, not just believe in it, we know of the power to activate the body's ability to heal itself. And we let our bodies do that. And we support it through nutrition first and foremost, always. Now we're not opposed to medication. We're not opposed to, um, you know, medical intervention when we need it, but usually that's in the form of like my daughter's getting a broken bone or a concussion or, you know, something like that. So that's when medicine comes to the rescue but that's for acute conditions, not everyday maintenance of health or chronic care. We deal, we use food in that. Now, a little bit more about Jeff. He studied, you know, he's from the Pacific Northwest. He lives in Tofino, British Columbia, which is not too many hours away from where I live. Beautiful part of the world. But he studied ethnomycology at the University of Washington. And he did that in the 70s. And from there, he actually worked for 10 years. He's going to share this story with you, but worked for 10 years cultivating and growing mushrooms. So he knows everything about how to grow the mushroom. He traveled in China extensively, where he also brought the first organic mushroom production seminar to China, who produces, you know, as he mentions in the podcast, 85% of the mushrooms that we consume all around the world. So, so much to learn in this show. So excited to have Jeff here. And before we dive in, let's just chat about behind the scenes work that we do um, behind Eat Real to Heal, the podcast itself. So many of you know that we have a collection of plant-based, whole foods, unrefined, organic, nutritious, and delicious cafes and restaurants in Western Canada. We just reopened now post or during covid post-COVID with uh, our new zero waste organic market, where you can now access all of our ingredients in returnable containers, glass jars, so that we are not using plastics and other packaging. Um, and instead, we're going back to like pre-1950s, 1950 plastic era, where people used to reuse, 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 and also reduce. That's what we're promoting through the Green Mustache. And so come check out one of our cafes, which now has our grocery store minimalist grocery store, excited about that as well. And so come check it out. We also have a whole line of skincare products and shampoos, conditioners, creams, and also really, really clean organic kitchen cleaners as well for your dishwasher, for your laundry detergent, and more. So come check us out. As well, uh, we are hosting um, 
retreats again at our wellness center. So we're doing private retreats for groups of six or less. And so please come and join us. That means if you are sick, get five of your family members to join you. We will do a private retreat just for you. We've been hosting them for the last month and it has been so exciting to work in small intimate groups. Normally we do larger groups or big corporate events, but now we're scaling it back and we're getting back face-to-face one-on-one. Really excited about that. So you can reach out to us at nicoletteriche.com. Write to us if you want us to host a private retreat for you. Also back to doing consulting one-on-one, something that I haven't done in years. So if you want to book a session with me, three hours long, I will teach you the Eat Real to Heal program face-to-face via Zoom or Skype if you're not in the vicinity of driving or walking distance to me, then we I do consult clients all over the world. So we can still meet um, in person, virtually, um, so many different ways we can do that. So let me know if you have a chronic disease that you'd like to reverse so you can get off your med- medications so that you can cancel any potential upcoming surgeries and I can help you understand the art and science of using food as medicine to turn your life around and reverse your disease. And of course, for more information and free resources, check out our website at nicoletteriche.com where you can download meal plans, learn about our Eat Real to Heal book, get a copy of that. Start learning about this today because it is never too late to turn your health around. And the best time to really start turning your health around was 20 years ago but do not fret. You can start today. So let's dive into this show with Jeff Chilton, and we will see you at the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening and for being here today. Bye-bye. Welcome everyone to our Eat Real to Heal podcast. I'm super excited today to have Jeff Chilton on our show because of the fact that we've never covered mushrooms before. So welcome Jeff to our podcast. Hi, Nicolette. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's such a pleasure because, you know, as we were just chatting uh, pre-show, you know, for anybody who's listening, you know that what the Eat Real Tale podcast is about, it's about metabolic nutrition, using food as medicine, plant-based whole food as medicine to reverse chronic degenerative diseases, infertility, autoimmune disorders, diabetes, heart disease, you know, cancers of all types. There's basically only three illnesses um, that are, that we don't work with. And that is um, ALS, Parkinson's, even though we can see um, the stop in the progression of Parkinson's, we just can't undo the damage already caused. And then um, certain leukemias we don't work with, but pretty much all other chronic degenerative diseases. But for the listeners who know about Dr. Max Gerson, where this therapy is based off of, um, mushrooms are not part of the protocol. So why am I having the mushroom guy on our show is probably what people are wondering. So that's something I'd love to tap into on this show as well is how do we use mushrooms as medicine, mushrooms for healing. But before we go into that, what we uh, like to do on our show is go back to the very beginning. The very beginning, Jeff, of how did you get interested in mushrooms? Well, as, as you know, as somebody that's living in our sort of Pacific Northwest climate, and we have beautiful forests, it rains all the time, we have lots of water. This is actually, Nicolette, this is actually one of the, 
best areas in the whole world for mushrooms because of our maritime climate. I mean, even up in the mountains where you are, we've got a lot of mushrooms mm -hmm. as well, but we have these forests. And so mushrooms are around us all the time. I grew up in Seattle. So mushrooms were there. I went out mushroom hunting early as a youngster with uh, parents of my friends. I quite enjoyed it. And, and you know, the thing about mushroom hunting is it's a treasure hunt. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you walk out into these beautiful forests. It's, it's really such a nice environment. You find some mushrooms, some high quality, let's say choice edibles, and it's treasure. After, after um, well, I went to university in Seattle and I studied anthropology which I really just love so much because I, I wanted to learn about other cultures and how, how people did things. And you remember this was the sixties too. And <clears throat> there was a counterculture that yeah. was forming while I was there. I also studied mycology. So actually my study was ethnomycology, which is the study of mushrooms uh, used for food, for medicine, for shamanic purposes worldwide and so this for me was just so interesting so i got into that subject pretty deeply and then when i got out of university it's like what do you do with a degree in anthropology exactly what so what do you do with a degree in anthropology <laughs> just for all the people who are out there i mean i have a you know teenage daughters and they're going to be going off to university soon and you know i want them to listen to this podcast and and know what they can do with the degree in anthropology which is super well, fascinating yeah well these days you can actually do more than back then. Back then, you pretty much had to go on and get a PhD and then teach it or something like that. Right. But today, they use anthropologists a lot because uh, we're having so many interactions with other cultures and they want to be know how to, you know, the customs and so forth. But um, I went to my, my mycology professor and I said, hey, you know, I'd, I'd kind of like to learn how to grow mushrooms. And he said, well, there's actually a mushroom farm 60 miles down the road in Olympia, Washington, the only one in the state. Amazing. <laughs> said, Go down there, talk to the owner, and you can probably get a job. I did. I got a job down there. I was working on that farm for the next 10 years. Big farm, 200 employees, 2 million pounds of mushrooms per year. Uh, the coolest part about it was that we also had a research director from Japan, Dr. Wow. Urayama, who was growing shiitake, um, oyster mushrooms, and anokitake. So I had really a look at cultivation of different mushrooms, and I loved it. I loved the whole 10 years. I, living with mushrooms, literally. Wow. So I love just how that all fell into place for you. I mean, and it didn't just fall into place. You took the step to ask your professor and say, Hey, you know, how do I get more into this? And that's what people need to know. Like yeah. if you want to achieve something, you just got to go out and ask for it. And then most people are just so willing to help. And then there you have it, right? You're in the place you want to be. So with mushroom growing, what kind of mushrooms were they growing there with 200 employees, like just like the button mushrooms and the mushrooms you sell in the grocery store or Pretty medicinal? much the, the button mushrooms. And look, on a, on a mushroom farm, what's going on is, is they're growing indoors. 
So have you ever been to a mushroom farm? No, I haven't, but we actually, I mean, we have a farm here in Pemberton, so we're on one, it's only one acre, it's really small, but um, Mary Lynn, who is our, she manages our retreat center here, um, and she just actually now has started growing mushrooms um, all over the farm. And so that's something I'm just learning about for the very first time. Like she goes out and forages for mushrooms, but it's yeah. something I've always wanted to do, but just never yeah. have done it. So I see it like at a very tiny scale, how it's done, but I can't even imagine what it looks like is indoor big scale. Well, on an industrial scale, I mean, it's like very large buildings uh, with uh, very large warehouse type rooms. And in each room, a crop would go in. And on this farm, we basically had uh, uh, four crops, new crops every week. And as those new crops went in, four old crops would get uh, taken out and dumped. And so it was a 90-day cropping cycle. Wow. So, so from start to finish, 90 days. And, and, and that doesn't even uh, count the uh, substrate, which is the food that we, we prepare for growing the mushrooms. And what we were making there was a compost, which was so cool, yes. uh, you know, and, and listen, making compost on an industrial scale. And just yeah. to give you an idea, every single batch of compost that we made for that particular crop was 80 tons of compost so oh our compost piles were were literally six foot wide by six foot tall by oh maybe um 75 to 100 meters long <laughs> so that just warms my heart because there's no topic on the planet that i love more than just compost because it is like it's like the heart of our planet right it's that Absolutely. you know that yeah it's this that cyclical process of how you know um you know consumption and then waste and then regeneration and then life-givingness and then like heat production you know microbiome production like i just love it all absolutely yeah. no no so I'm that's totally, amazing yeah. i would have been in heaven there for sure <laughs> <laughs> well yes and no because you know when you're when you're creating compost on that scale there's actually quite a lot of odors. Yes. And, and so anybody living next to the farm was always like holding their nose. Oh my God. <laughs> For me, it didn't bother me because I'm working in it all the time. And, yeah. and, uh, um, and so, so that just sort of gives you an idea of the size of the farm. But basically oh. uh, what's happening is the number of actual individual crops that we uh, generated every year on that farm was 200 different individual crops because of this cropping cycle we wow. were on. Well, think about that for a second. And I'm there for 10 years. I literally saw 2,000 individual crops of mushrooms. And, and how many crops does a normal fa farmer see in a lifetime? Maybe yeah. 50 something exactly like that. I saw 2000 different crops and so so yeah wow. agaricus mushrooms is what we were growing there um what's what goes on in in North America when you're growing mushrooms and the reason nobody's ever seen them is because they are grown indoors you could go right by it mm -hmm. and just think of some big industrial site or something like that and um this particular mushroom is really interesting because 
it grows in the dark. It does not need light. And that's where that whole thing of, oh, I must be a mushroom because they're keeping me in the dark and feeding me <laughs> bullshit. You know, that's where that whole joke comes from, right? Right. But, but it's one of the few mushrooms that doesn't need light. Most yeah. mushrooms need light to actually grow and mature properly. They don't have enough light uh, out in the yeah. wild. A mushroom will will uh, not form its cap normally and the stem will kind of snake around like like you know how plants sometimes will snake around searching yeah. out the light a mushroom in the wild will do exactly the same thing trying to find light and light is also important for the pigmentation this mm -hmm. agaricus mushroom is really something different doesn't need it but all the other mushrooms that we would grow in fact do need light to grow wow. properly so that just reminds me of, you know, when I was a kid uh, growing up, we had a really big, we lived on an orchard and we had a huge garden and my mom was always out in the garden. To this day, she still gardens like every single, sometimes she can't even take care of my kids because she's like, sorry, I gotta go garden. You know, like that, that's yeah, how important gardening yeah, is to her. Yeah. Um, but she used to always, um, we'd go to the farm and collect the manure. And then my job as kid was to actually, I forgot all about this until just now, um, was to dig through the manure and pull out the mushrooms. Oh, pull out the, oh, okay. Because yeah. there was actually mushrooms growing in there yeah. actually from, now what kind of manure was this? Was this? I don't, I wouldn't horse know. I have to, or? I don't know if it was cow manure or horse manure. I don't have no idea, but was I the, do. Was it just, was it kind of pure? Was it straw? mixed it, with it or you I, can pick out the mushrooms so there were so many mushrooms in there and my mom would be like pick them out and we would eat them like it was you know and i didn't oh, even think kidding. to kidding yeah I, I, I you know it's funny because there's only there's there's certain mushrooms that grow directly out of manure and but yeah. most of them like if you go out into a pasture they're not growing directly out no. of manure they're just growing right out of the ground in the pasture because it's been fertilized and so certain exactly. mushrooms like that and this particular mushroom this button mushroom is one of those mushrooms and you know it was brought into cultivation back in the 1700s in wow. europe and, and and the way they did it which is kind of interesting is is in the beginning what they would do is they see these mushrooms growing and they go oh okay that how does it grow mushrooms don't have seeds how do you grow yeah. mushrooms? They have no seeds. They have spores. Exactly. So let me just describe the life cycle for a second, because then that, that'll help us as we go on. But these spores naturally will float out. They'll land everywhere on mm -hmm. the ground, on wood. Uh, when conditions are right, the spores will germinate into a very fine filament. That filament mm -hmm. is called hypha. When multiple of these filaments come together uh, and fuse, they will form a network. And that network is called mycelium. Mm -hmm. now, now, what's really cool about fungi, of which mushrooms are one part, um, is they're out there doing the composting for us. Exactly. They, they're actually in the ground, in wood, they are decomposing it. So they're part of this uh, uh, whole group of organisms that every year they're working to break down all of this organic matter. Can you imagine all of the, the leaves, the branches, the, the uh, dead plants that are generated every year? What would happen if something didn't come along and mm -hmm. break those down? So it's, it's in a sense, 
all of those microorganisms, including, of course, bugs that are part of that as well, they are composting all that organic matter and turning it into humus for reuse by other plants. So essentially, uh, when people, uh, well, so that mycelium um, is what we would call the vegetative body of this organism. When conditions are right, and this mycelium has been out there normally underground or in a piece of wood, um, it will be um, building up reserves of energy. And so when the fall comes, what happens? All of a sudden, temperatures go down. It starts to rain. As it rains, humidity goes up. Mushrooms need a high humidity. Mm -hmm. If they're in direct sunlight and it is dry, they will just stop growing yeah. and dry out. So in the fall, then up comes the mushroom and it'll just start with a tiny little, what we would call a primordium that forms on that mycelial network. Then as it slowly develops, it will develop a stem, a cap, gills underneath, and then those gills will produce spores and then we'll have a completion of this life cycle. So, so what, what happened when we see a mushroom, that's only a very short stage of this organism. And if we were to look under and in the ground where that mushroom has come out, we would see this fine network. And usually it's just like white, strandy, fuzzy, what, what some people might look at and say, oh, gee, that looks like mold. Well, right. fungi are also mold. So that's a whole different category of fungi. Mm -hmm. But that's the basic life cycle of this organism that we call a, a mushroom. And so, so getting back to how they're produced, they figured out that, you know, somebody figured out, okay, look, if I dig up that ground to where these mushrooms are growing, and I take it and I plant it into similar uh, uh, types of materials, ultimately, hey, that mycelium grows out into that. Next thing you know, I've got mushrooms. And so in Europe, that was kind of the beginning of growing this button mushroom. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of really interesting. In fact, back then in the wild, they used to call mushrooms poor man's meat. Yes, I've heard that before. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah, well, I mean, but it it literally like can taste like meat. It actually it has a texture sometimes of meat. And well, meat. yeah. Yeah, like oyster mushroom or turkey tail or any of those mushrooms. Like it's amazing how, I mean, that's probably where it got its name from. I imagine it's because of how similar it represented some of those meat products perhaps. Well, well, turkey tail is something where, where actually the reason they call that is because uh, it has multicolors and it oh. looks like the tail of a turkey. Actually. Oh, okay. That, that's true too. Yeah. As it yeah. fans out and, and turkey tail is kind of like a fan like shapes right. with multicolors and so that's where the whole name of turkey tail came in but but yeah poor man's meat and and you know mushrooms uh especially certain mushrooms are very solid very mm -hmm. meaty and and you know what's interesting today is now a lot of these meat substitutes that they are creating uh some of them actually contain mushrooms in them some of them actually now they've done tests where they have substituted 50 percent of that let's say ground beef uh, with mushrooms and they've made patties they've served totally. it to people and they've liked that better than the actual 100 percent 
So there's all sort of ways that they're using it now as uh, meat extenders and things like that. But uh, they are meaty, but they yeah. are not, they're not meat. <laughs> no. And, you know, and Money's Mushrooms was like one of the very first veggie burgers or, you know, that was around way back when. I don't know if you guys have it in the States as well, but I mean, it was predominantly a mushroom burger. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, well, so, and now you can buy the portobellos, these yeah. big, big mushrooms. And you know, you know, what's interesting about the portobello is that that is the same species as the button mushroom. Oh, wow. The only yeah. difference is, is that they've just allowed it to mature. Oh, I see. And yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, I've been eating the portobello mushroom burgers for years and years. And then it was funny. We saw like in Whistler here, we have portobello mushroom or portobello restaurant. And, you know, oh, like, yeah. and all of a sudden all the restaurants started serving portobello burgers with <laughs> the vegetarian. Like, and so it was just interesting to watch that happen. But I mean, I preferred a portobello mushroom burger for sure over, you know, any other type of burger. And even sure. like all the processed burgers that you can get out there, I'd rather just have the full mushroom in there. Like it's so- Well, yeah. Yes, and that, that's part of it is that you're get, getting back into processed foods yeah. and all of these different things that they put in there to give it the right sort of like mouthfeel and yeah. taste and all the rest. And you're just like, oh my God, no, this is yeah. nothing natural about this. I don't care if it's organic ingredients. It doesn't totally. matter. It's a processed burger and yeah. no thank you. Yeah, no, exactly. And you don't need to do it because we have all of these amazing, you know, whole foods that you just, you know, depending on how you cut it up, it literally can be a burger patty. So you don't need to go down the processed, you know, route, um, uh, food route at all. And you can enjoy like these amazing, it's a delicacy. I mean, even if you can buy them everywhere, it's still a delicacy in my opinion, you yeah. know? And so, yeah. So, um, okay, so I want to go back to the mushroom farming and that you were involved in that. And then were they growing any, you said you were, they were growing some mushrooms for shamanic purposes and medicinal purposes? Or well, no? no, no. The shamanic purposes was what I was studying at university. Oh. Um, and, and that's certainly a whole other subject that we can definitely get into yeah. if we want to. But basically um, what they were growing is um, we were growing shiitake. Yeah. Um, oyster mushroom and enoki taki and uh, taki is actually a japanese word for mushroom so oh, okay. shiitake oh, she taki yes. okay shiitake is just the most incredible mushroom in china they call it shanggu which mm -hmm. means fragrant mushroom they started cultivating shiitake mushrooms in china in the 12th century in the 12th century and and now shiitake is the it is finally overtaken the agaricus the button mushroom now it is the most commonly cultivated mushroom in the world more shiitake are produced than any other oh, wow. mushroom and, and there's actually uh areas in china that are called like the mushroom county of china and i, I visit china a lot china a lot I, I went over there first in 1989 it's an amazing wow. country they actually in this county have a buddhist temple that is um dedicated 
to the local man who first learned how to grow shiitake. And he is this big statue sitting up on this uh, uh, platform on the altar, very large statue. And he's sitting there and has one hand out and in his hand is a shiitake mushroom. It's wow. such a cool place. And, you know, it's a small, funky little temple, yeah. but I mean, big enough and uh, beautiful location right on this wonderful little stream and on the way into the mountains. It's back in the mountains anyway. Most of the mushrooms there, or a lot of them anyway, are, are produced back in the mountains. And, but anyway, love that. But it just also speaks to like I was just in China in 2018 teaching. Oh, it, yeah. um, we taught about 600 physicians all about metabolic nutrition and and the Gerson therapy, and you know, so it was incredible to be there. Like what, a, like just a, such a remarkable place in the world oh, um, that man. you know when. And I mean, I really hope that despite COVID, that people you know who've never been there like still will consider going there one day because I mean, this whole COVID thing is it, it's crazy, and to blame it on China is oh, ridiculous. I totally, totally. I, I that just turns me off so much because oh. I, I, like I said, I first went over there in 1989, and believe me. In the last 30 years, it's night and day, the changes totally. that have happened over there. And, and I spent the whole 90s traveling around China. I visited mushroom farms. I went to mushroom conferences. Wow. I went to research institutes. I went to processing factories. I saw their whole mushroom industry over there and made a lot of connections. We grow all of our mushrooms in China. And there's a really good reason for this. And this is something that's really important and people need to know. And that is, um, you can grow mushrooms in North America for food. No problem. You mm -hmm. can grow your mushrooms, fresh mushrooms, take them to the market. Let's just say as an example, you get $5 a pound for those mushrooms. Uh, but uh, in my business, which is the supplement business, we market dried powders. Mm -hmm. We don't market fresh products. So when you dry that mushroom out, it's like most vegetables, they're 90% water. Yeah, exactly. So when you dry them out, now instead of $5, you have to get $50 for that same pound of dried mushroom. So the economics do not work. And, and yeah. as somebody who, who was very familiar with the economics of mushroom growing, uh, I realized this and went to China and, and not just that is I did so much reading mm -hmm. in the seventies, in the eighties, uh, deepened my understanding about the medicinal uh, benefits of mushrooms and where are they being used medicinally in China? Where is the industry really uh, in China? China grows 85% of the world's mushrooms. Wow. 85%. And, and here's the other thing about a mushroom growing. Every single mushroom is picked by hand. Wow. Every one. So when you see that, that uh, box of agaricus mushrooms, somebody has picked that mushroom by hand. Wow. And there's no machines that help in harvesting. It's expensive mm -hmm. to actually grow mushrooms. And so that's why 
for example, that's why we went to China. We, I've got, um, I've been working with people over there since the, uh, since the 1990s. And in 1997, I took OCIA, which was the largest organic certifier in the United States with me to China. And we had the very first organic certification workshop for mushroom growers oh, in wow. China, 1997. That's amazing. And since then, now there's like thousands of organic mushroom growers. And yeah. we're not talking about, you know, Chinese certifiers, anything that we're talking about, European yeah. certifiers. We have to test all of the mushrooms, and we do. We test them for pesticides. We test yeah. them for uh, heavy metals, microorganisms. We even test for gly glyphosides. That's glyphosides. And that's what I wanted to, I, I, okay, so let, that's a perfect segue into what I want to know about mushrooms and what I want to understand and help our audience understand about mushrooms. So um, I was doing environmental sciences in government for a long time um, before I moved into owning restaurants and wellness centers. and um, and my understanding of mushrooms and, you know, Dr. Zach Bush talks about this as well, is that, you know, mushrooms are incredible, like these incredible organisms on the earth that actually are able to take in water soluble um, pesticides, toxins, and break them down and then um, disseminate, you know, those compounds into the environment that are inert. So when we are picking mushrooms, um, you know, is that taking away from the earth's ability to be able to clean the air, the soil, the water of toxins or, and how does that work? And then if we're picking these mushrooms and then consuming them, um, how, why are we not getting those, you know, the glyphosate and the, you know, other um, toxins as well? well? So let's help to, I want to sure. unpack all that. Well, remember, remember the actual organism the vegetative body is in the ground it is there it will be there perennially as long as there's a food source for it so when you're picking the mushroom it's kind of like picking an apple the mm. tree is still there right the, the tree will still be producing those apples in fact that's one of the things about mushroom hunting is that if you find a place where certain mushrooms are growing you go back there every year. And that's why sometimes mushroom, mushroom, uh, wild mushroomers, you say, oh yeah, can I come out with you? Or, or where are you finding your mushrooms? You go, um, that's a big secret. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've heard that before. So, so, so th that, that's what's going on now. Now look, mushrooms, certain mushrooms, if they're growing along highways or something, some of them can take up heavy metals. Um, so you might, people might want to avoid harvesting or picking wild mushrooms along the sides of the roads or anything like that. Okay. But generally, and, and, and look, the, um, a mushroom grown in a environment full of chemicals, like any other uh, vegetable, will pick up those, whether it be uh, pesticides or, or certain type uh, glyphosates, will pick up the glyphosates. Mm -hmm. So, so the fact is, is that it's really important how you're growing it and where you're growing it. For example, okay. uh, what we call, um, what is growing on, we call it the substrate. So whatever materials that you have to be growing your mushroom on, if they're contaminated, the mushroom can 
pick some of those up as it's right. growing. So you have to be very careful. You have to have the right kind of materials. I mean, most medicinal mushrooms and a lot of edible mushrooms are grown on wood. Mm -hmm. And and generally speaking, wood is a fairly clean substrate. Uh, a lot of our mushrooms are grown on on sawdust, mm -hmm. so so that that's something that's fairly important. And also, that wood is what uh, helps produce the medicinal compounds that we're looking for in oh, mushrooms. So okay. so you know, and, and and you know, the the biggest problem out there with glyphosates is that there's drift yes so exactly organic growers are going crazy mm -hmm. because there's so much spraying of these agricultural chemicals and, and it drifts over it gets into the water table and the next thing you know i mean the number of products in in north america that are probably uh, have certain levels of glyphosates is gotta be astounding. Mm -hmm. They are everywhere. Yeah. We do test our mushrooms for it and they are clean, but that's something we're really interested in knowing because yeah. we test we test for everything. I mean, I totally believe in organic production of food. I support that. Mm -hmm. I buy organic vegetables. It's so important because so important. we have to support this new industry. Yeah. That's the only way we're going to get pricing down and get people to actually move over. And you know, the other thing too, Nicoletta, and I'm sure you're aware of this, is that in actuality, food in North America is pretty cheap all yeah. in all. I mean, you know, it's really cheap. And, and so, so we're kind of lucky in that way. But one of the reasons is that we do not pay the people harvesting our food mm -hmm. a living wage. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if we paid people properly, we'd have to pay more for our food, which probably is, is a good thing in the sense of, look, we don't want to have to have people out there harvesting our food that are are kept in poverty and yet working so hard yeah. for us sitting sort of at the top of this food chain um and that's something i think a lot of people don't quite comprehend our food is cheap so cheap cheap, cheap. yep <laughs> And, you know, and it's so cheap too, because our energy costs here in North America are so cheap compared to, you know, so many other places in the world. So we have low energy costs. We don't pay, you know, farmers and, and the pickers in the, you know, we don't pay them livable wages and, you know, but people here still complain about the cost of food. And I'm like, all you have to do is go to any other part of the world and like, I mean, some parts you're going to have to grow it yourself if you want it. And then in other parts, you're going to have to just pay through the nose. And that's just what it is. But that's yeah. the cost of, of living. And yeah, it's, it's completely absurd here. And, and more people here think spend more money on their iPhones and their, you know, garbage stuff that's like, you know, consumer products than they do on their food. Like it's, How much does it cost for just a coffee? <laughs> exactly. That's I full mean. of so many chemicals and like added like whatever fillers and all the you know sweeteners and all the junk to like make you know sparkly unicorn <laughs> dust and you know all that stuff and people are willing to pay like seven eight dollars for a coffee now but they're not willing to you know yeah, pay dollars for it's you know so true yeah, it's I know. so true yeah 
so so I, I established some really solid connections and and I the Chinese people that I work with are wonderful people and because of that we're actually able to bring real mushroom products mm -hmm. to North America to sell as supplements because this is a little bit different topic, but I, I think, you know, it's important that people know this if people are at all. And, and I do want to stay in food too, but, but while we're on this topic right now in the supplement business, there are a lot of companies that will grow that mycelium stage on sterilized grain. Mm. And then what they do is at the end of the process, when the mycelium has completely covered the grain, they will harvest the whole thing. They'll cut it up. They'll dry it. They'll grind it to a powder and grain and all. And then they will sell it into the market mm. as a mushroom. And, and that's why that's what companies in North America do because the cost of actually using a real mushroom, you can't do that here. Mm. It's not economical. So they grow this product. And so a lot of people buying a supplement, they think, oh, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I've heard about this company and it says reishi mushroom or shiitake mushroom. They think they're buying a mushroom supplement when in fact, they're just grain. buying a lot of starch, a lot of grain starch. And, and so, it's really unfortunate. So how as a consumer, because I know this from the aloe vera world as well, that, um, you know, that like a lot, they say something like 98% of aloe vera products don't even contain one or 2% aloe vera. Meanwhile, Terrible. you know, and so how in the mushroom world, like, do we, I mean, number one, listening to podcasts like this and learning from you, um, you know, how mushrooms are grown and then how they're processed and then how they're packaged and, um, and utilized, but, you know, is one way to do it. Like people just have to get in formed it's important but um when it comes to mushrooms then like let's talk about products um you know we don't have to name them if you don't want to but let's just talk about um you know how you make your products and this is one of the questions that one of my staff said make sure you ask jeff this that there's certain mushroom growers who say and producers of supplements that say you know well we like include the mycelium and we do that now are those mushroom products the ones that include the grain as well and how do we know and which is better like to include the mushroom the mushroom and the mycelium or just the mycelium if you can even do that like how does this work well well you know the the fact of the matter is is mycelium does have beneficial properties the issue is that they're not selling, these companies are not selling pure mycelium, they're selling mycelium that's on grain. grain. And the grain okay. dominates the product. And so what mm. they're mostly selling is starch. And the only reason, literally the only reason is because mushrooms are expensive. Yeah. Uh, they absolutely are, they're expensive to grow and, and so you can't put them. So if, if you see a product that says made in the USA, um, you know immediately that that's what it is. If you turn it over into the supplements facts panel and it says mycelium, mm -hmm. it's probably this myceliated grain because there's no 100% mycelium products yeah. in the market. And yeah. then if you look in the fine print where it says other, you know, right. like other ingredients, uh, the the good companies selling bad products will say uh, myceliated rice, myceliated mm -hmm. oats, something like that so there are clues but the the problem is is that that these same companies 
that label properly, they also sell their raw materials to other companies. And when they do that, they tell the other company, we're selling you mushroom. The other company is not smart enough to know they're not actually getting mushrooms. So they put out these products. They don't even say mycelium. They don't even tell you that the grain is there. I've, I've been at uh, conferences or, or trade shows like paleo trade shows and, mm -hmm. and, these people do not eat grains. That's one of the things they don't do. And they, they tell me about the wonderful mushroom product that they're taking. And I ask them what brand, <laughs> and then I have to tell them. And then they're like shocked right. that they're getting most, I mean, you know, that's the thing that I've been kind of uh, trying to educate people about. And that is just the, the mislabeling. If people want to buy those products, I don't care, but label them properly. Yeah, exactly. They're not mushroom. And, and sometimes what they'll claim is this little tiny uh, uh, um, start of a mushroom off of mycelium. They'll claim that's a mushroom. It's not a mushroom. It's still mycelium. Mm -hmm. They'll make those claims. Uh, so, so this is the thing. Just know what you're getting. You taste these products. They don't taste like mushroom. They just taste like grain powder. Yeah, like rye and all these different yeah, things. Yeah, it's just like grain powder. Yeah. So how? Okay. So we, okay. So mycelium. Obviously, there's nutritional benefits in it. It can then compare to the actual, you know, mushroom that's growing on it that's fully, you know, ready to be picked. Um, what are the, what's the difference in nutritional property there? Well, well, first of all, um, we did a really interesting. Well, we did a really interesting study about the these mycelated grain products, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and what we did is we did a nutritional analysis of the particular mushroom species, uh, and just a simple one: fat, uh, protein, carbohydrate. We test for another compound called beta glucan and alpha glucan. Well, then we uh, tested uh, um, these products that were growing on grains. And then we, we also went out and found the standard nutritional profile for the grains themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> these products just followed very perfectly the nutritional profile of the grain. Right. Because that was dominating the product. And we've done other tests as well that demonstrate this fact and and um regarding medicinal mushrooms and regarding mushrooms in general actually they um yeah let, let, let's go into the mm -hmm. nutritional profile because i think super that's curious about this thing yeah, yeah yeah and first of all let me just say this every mushroom is going to have a different nutritional profile they're not right. all the same. You know, you can't just lump them in and say, oh yeah, this mushroom is, you know, all mushrooms are like this. 20 to 40% protein, a very good amino acid profile. There's maybe only one limiting uh, of the essential amino acids. They are um, anywhere from 30 to 60% carbohydrate, but the carbohydrates in mushrooms are very positive carbohydrates. Mm. Uh, for example, uh, they contain a uh, type of carbohydrate called mannitol. Mm -hmm. Mannitol is a very, very slow-acting carbohydrate. So this is so people with with uh, blood sugar issues. That's one of the things about mushrooms is you've got these carbohydrates that are very low and do not jack up your blood sugar really uh, quickly. So uh, and the other carbohydrate in mushrooms 
are these beta glucans? The beta glucans are a, um, a polysaccharide, which is, uh, and they are what scientists have studied for the last 50 years and it demonstrates that they have these medicinal properties in them. That's what makes a mushroom medicinal. And we actually have receptor sites in our lower intestine for beta-glucans. Mm. It's really interesting. And now, you know, beta-glucans, some people say, oh yeah, well, beta-glucans are in grains. A totally different beta-glucan. This is a very specific, it's called a beta-1316 glucan. It's a very different type of beta-glucan that's found in fungi. So mm. this, uh, these beta-glucans will essentially, when you're eating mushrooms or even supplementing with them, they will hit these receptor sites. And what they do is they will potentiate our immune system. And basically what potentiation means is strengthen. Mm. They will be there. Uh, if you need that, um, let's say you're, you're feeling a little bit low, you're feeling, you know, you've got some um, issues and you just can't, you don't have any energy, you can't really get out of it. That's when essentially these beta-glucans will start to uh, potentiate and strengthen and produce more immune cells because oftentimes that's the issue. Maybe our immunity is just kind of low. So that in a way is, is how you should look at a medicinal mushroom and as something that can be working in the background for you. And that's where I'm always saying to people, you should be eating mushrooms, even before supplementation. Mm -hmm. and, and we don't sell mushrooms <clears throat> for food. Uh, that's not part of our business. We're simply in the supplement business. But I'd say, look, don't even think about supplements before you actually put them into your diet. Because uh, I look at mushrooms as the forgotten food. Yeah. That's uh, also uh, the missing link to me. And when you go to Asia, Nicolette, I mean, they are eating mushrooms Everywhere. all the time. There's at least 12 different species in the marketplace. So mushrooms, when, when, when I'm there, I mean, every day we'll be eating mushrooms in dishes, on their own in dishes. You, you name it. It's but, amazing. And, yeah. and they've done some interesting studies where they've taken very large uh, groups and analyzed their diet and then looked at diseases and health and, and death rates and all of that. And, and these studies, which are, are scientifically done and, and credible, they've actually shown that populations that eat mushrooms and, and it's part of their diet live longer than populations that don't. And, and I, I really look at them as a longevity food because, mm -hmm. and, and not only that, and, and, and I don't need to tell you this, it's like food as medicine. Isn't that what we're all looking for? Totally. Not just the nourishment of those foods, but you know, a lot of those nourishing foods also have these phytochemicals in there that will help us in a medicinal way. The mushrooms have these beta-glucans. They have some other compounds in there as well. But it's just like, you know, 
broccoli and cauliflower, these cruciferous vegetables have these very specific mm -hmm. compounds in there that are very medicinally active and so good for us. That's the same thing with, with mushrooms. They have those uh, beta-glucans in there that will help us with our immunity. And I love that, um, you know, you mentioned that because food is medicine. And I think if we were to start to look at that more, people would say, you know, just like, you know, have you taken your whatever Vioxx or have you taken your, you know, other anti-athritic medication or, you know, blood pressure lowering meds today? Well, if you actually thought of food as medicine, people would wake up in the morning and the first thing they would say is like, oh, I need to take my medicine. What is it going to be? Maybe it's going to be like a cup of mushrooms next to, you know, like maybe with your oatmeal or with something else. You know, it doesn't have to be you know, a bowl of, you know, processed cereal, and then you go and pop a bunch of medical <laughs> pills, you yeah, know, like this, yeah, if yeah. we were to do that, people would not be on medicine, right? They wouldn't have to be spending. And in the States, especially, it's very different in Canada. Um, not much different. A lot of people think that just because we have socialized medicine, you don't pay for things, but you still pay for, you know, some of these meds. But in the States, I mean, we've had clients come up here to our retreat center. And, you know, one dad brought his daughter last year, and they spent $35,000 in one year on his daughter's medications. And I'm like, you know how much food that would buy? $35,000 yeah. in one year? Like you'd be eating organic through the wazoo. You'd be eating like kings and queens. And, you know, meanwhile, there's using that money on medications and for preventable and reversible diseases. So people need to start seeing their food, not just as, um, a novelty or like the next best thing on interest is to make this dish, you know, but actually as medicine and lives would be different. So I have to ask you with these, when we're eating mushrooms and I agree with you, we should be eating the mushroom first and then supplementing. That's our philosophy as well, that you eat the whole food, you know, fruits, vegetables, a little bit of grains, um, you know, the legumes. And then only after that would you need to take your supplements to supplement with the things that your body is just not absorbing. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So what does that look like to eat enough mushrooms for them to be medicinal? Like, is it breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Is it one time a week? Is it every meal? Like, what does that look like? Well, um, you know, I have sort of a, a um, general range uh, when it comes to supplements, which is two to five grams of dried mushrooms now when you think of that two to five grams okay so we have five dried grams let's just fill that with water and now we have 50 grams of fresh mushrooms okay so, so is that so is that a supplement when you're talking about the dried mushroom is that i'm talking a about supplement? that as a supplement yeah okay, and okay so what i'm saying is if we turn that into fresh food now we've got 50 grams okay. of fresh mushrooms so what I would say is, is 50 grams. And, and you know, I, I uh, actually weighed out a medium size button mushroom recently. It weighed 40 grams. One button mushroom. <laughs> Can you imagine? So, so dense, essentially, yeah. if, if somebody were to cook up three of those and, and put them into their, their meal, uh, that would pretty much be 
the same as the high end of taking this mushroom as a supplement. Now, I would mm -hmm. recommend rather than the garicus, which I like, I still think it's a wonderful mushroom. Um, shiitake mushroom would be the one to do that with. And you probably, uh, in this case, uh, with that one button mushroom might be the same as three or four shiitake. Okay. But that's okay. Shiitakes are really tasty. They're mm -hmm. really good. So, good. So, so, you know, it doesn't take much. And, and look, uh, I can sit down and, and slice up uh, 200 grams of uh, button mushrooms and eat them in a sitting. Totally. No problem at all. And the thing with mushrooms is they're so versatile. You can put them into stir fries. You can put them into your eggs. You can, you can just use them in so many different ways. And, and here's something that's kind of interesting is when I started growing mushrooms commercially back in 1973, classical nutritionists looked at mushrooms and they said, mushrooms are a non-food. They, they, they have good flavor. Uh, and that's why you should eat them, but they're a non-food. The reason they said this, believe it or not, is because mushrooms are low in calories mm -hmm. and high, get this, high in fiber. Wow. So, so mushrooms are actually a prebiotic that are feeding the microbiome. And when they're doing that, they've got these beta-glucans that are, that are acting as well. So, so you know... But those same Great. classical nutritionists, didn't they say that potatoes weren't food? And they said like, <laughs> you know, greens were not food. And like, the, you know, they, well, they said so I many. I, I know so many myths, right? Yeah, because it, did, it wasn't calorie dense, like a steak or like, That's you know, whatever right. else processed packaged food. And people need to understand this, that just because a food is low in calories doesn't mean that it does, it lacks nutrition. And, you know, like romaine lettuce has so many different incredible properties like all the greens out there I mean it doesn't matter what you, what it is that's out there as long as it's a whole food it's yes. a vegetable and legume yes. a fruit it's always going to be low in calories yes. and you know and the whole point is you get to eat an abundance of this whole food and mushrooms and you know including mushrooms and you're getting a diversity of nutrients but low calorie which is what your body wants because your body doesn't want these very high caloric foods, actually. It's very hard on the body and it takes away from your longevity. Yes. So that's the part people need to understand. So yeah, I can see where all these myths were perpetuated and how they were perpetuated. We need to rise above that. <laughs> I know, and it's taken years to kind of just, I mean, there's still a lot of people out there that think mushrooms have no food value at all, mm -hmm. which is just absolutely wrong. And, and you know, mushrooms actually um, have, are very, good for B vitamins, uh, B1, 2, and 3. They mm -hmm. can, uh, 100 grams of fresh agaricus can give you up to 25% of uh, your need for uh, riboflavin and biotin. So, right. um, and in terms of minerals, they're high in potassium and phosphorus. I mean, Which it's we just need an more all of. around good food. And, and it's something, again, like I say, it's, it's kind of the missing link in the diet. And so I always mm -hmm. recommend to people, and again, Start out with shiitake. What a wonderful mushroom. Yeah. So talking about mushrooms and the fact that you had mentioned the fact of mold, and I'm working with a client right now who's very sensitive to mold. And we see this a lot amongst, I, I tend to see it amongst uh, millennials. They're right in that you know age group where they were born at the height of glyphosate use. Um, and so most of them have grown up on pesticide-laden food, genetically modified food, 
processed food. Like they really got the worst rap of it all. Um, you know, they weren't as lucky as I am or as you were to have still known what it was like to probably have a garden and pick food off a tree or out of the earth and maybe just dust it off on your shirt and then shove it in your mouth, right? Yeah, like our right, microbiomes yeah. like are quite robust compared yeah, exactly. to some of these millennials. But I mean, so many um, clients of mine that are, do fall into that category they're very afraid of mold. And so let's talk about that because they're afraid to eat mushrooms. They're afraid to eat so many things that, you know, potentially have mold. Yes. Well, first of all, you know, with fungi, mm -hmm. there are many different groups within that very broad category. And it's actually a kingdom of fungi. So it's sort of mm -hmm. the kingdom sits within plants and animals. And in that kingdom, we have what are called perfect fungi, and that's where the mushrooms live. Or we have imperfect fungi, and that's what we call molds. Um, and the differences are that those molds do not produce any sort of what we would call reproductive structure, uh, which the mushroom is. The mushroom's the reproductive structure of this uh, uh, mycelial vegetative state so a mold does not and and those molds are out there they're yeah. everywhere and and you know they're part of the ecosystem they they're mm -hmm. out there but some of those molds can give us issues some of those molds are pathogens like there's a mold out there called aspergillus that gets into grains mm -hmm. uh where that haven't been stored properly and it'll produce compounds called aflatoxins these are very, very powerful toxins. And, and so, um, but, but the issue normally with people and molds are due to the spores. Right. So what's happening is, you know, for example, people in homes that are humidity is too high and back in some corner, it's a little bit damp. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the perfect environment for fungi. So one of these molds will start to grow and it will sort of grow on the surface of the wall or whatever's back there. And as it grows out, have you ever seen a, a, a bread mold? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's something and if you, if you catch it early, it'll be kind of white, but then all of a sudden it turns green or black. When it turns green or black, those are spores. Right. So, so what's happening is people are breathing those spores. It's not really a matter of, of they've eaten molds. It's like they're breathing they in it. these molds. And, and these spores get into the lungs. They will cause a reaction if there's enough of them. A lot of these spores actually... Um, have what we would call ornamentation where there are little spines on them and they will irritate the lungs. And in a lot of cases, people are just basically allergic to these spores. I mean, there's actually um, a disease out there called mushroom workers lung. Mm. This is from, uh, uh, if you have an enclosed environment and you are picking mushrooms, and those mushrooms are allowed to mature and mm. drop their spores. Now you have this whole room filled with spores. And, and so mushroom workers back in the day were not 
wearing masks or anything like that. Now, one of the, the benefits of a button mushroom is you never allow it to produce spores. So it's all good. Mm. But, but these molds in, in the houses or wherever, I mean, I mean you know, and, and you, can, you can end up uh, breathing in mold spores in a number of different um, circumstances. And so that's really the issue. And some people are more sensitive to others. And, and look, Nicolette, you know what? What's really interesting and what we don't realize is the air we breathe is full of yeah. spores. It's can't full escape it. of pollens. That's part of being human. That's part mm -hmm. of our ecosystem. And that, that ultimately will strengthen and we'll be able, we'll have antibodies that will be able to to uh, basically ward off various diseases and so on. But again, like mm -hmm. if you're living in a house and this is going on and you don't even know what's going on and you're breathing in these spores, that, that can be an issue. And so that, that's the real uh, issue with molds. Now, let me just also t uh, speak to what I call an urban myth out there. And that is that if you have candida, you cannot eat mushrooms because mushrooms feed the candida. <laughs> have you ever so that's so that so that's the myth is that if you that have candida, you cannot eat mushrooms. Yes, I've I've heard myth. that. Yeah, yes. and and there's absolutely I've searched and searched. I know other people yeah. have searched. There nobody's ever found any basis for that. But it's just this idea of there's an idea out there. It's very ancient called like produces like, mm -hmm. you know, it's almost like if you find something that is uh, shaped like a kidney, it must be good for the kidney. <laughs> right. So, so th that whole idea, and I don't know who started it out, but naturopaths kind of caught yeah. on to it. And that's who would do it because they're always dealing with people with candida. That's the first thing they test people yeah. for. And then they'll say, Oh, and whatever you do, don't, don't eat any mushrooms, like as if mushrooms are going to feed this yeast. Candida yeah. is a yeast. That yeah. is just completely false. Well, even if you just look in a laboratory, right? So if you wanted to grow mushrooms, I'm pretty sure the culture medium that you're going to use to grow the mushrooms is not mushrooms. No, right? It's not, no. And so, I mean, even just from that, you can see that, you know, um, you know, and I mean, the same applies to, I mean, anything out there, we often don't grow whatever it is we're trying to grow with the exact same product. It just yeah. doesn't work that way. We grow no. it with nutrients, we grow it with other things. That's absolutely right. right. That's absolutely right. And so yeah. the fact that, that somebody has candida and you can't eat a mushroom because of that is just does has again no basis in in any science yeah. whatsoever so and let's just touch on the whole candida thing a little bit only because 99 percent of my clients come to me and their natural path is like pretty much you know and not just natural path like anybody any health practitioner said okay well you can't eat any sugar now you can't eat any fruits you can't eat any grains you can't eat any mushrooms like or mushrooms you can't eat you know starchy vegetables and i'm like well then what are you eating like is wow. it just a steak diet you know wow. like I'll, ultimately there's no food left for them to eat. Meanwhile, they're depriving their bodies of 
hundreds of different nutrients, enzymes, amino acids, you know, like, you know, absolutely like all the essential nutrients that they need and how are they ever going to develop a robust system that is going to be able to balance out the candida because we're not going to ever have bodies that are free of candida right? Like candida is part of our organism. And so, but it's about keeping our body in check. So that just brings me back to, you know, if we, it's not so much an issue of, you know, let's stay away from all the molds because you can't, just like you mentioned, but why don't we work to strengthen our immune system in a comprehensive way that'll actually make it so if you walk into a room that is full of mold, your body will actually be able to manage it. And just like those mushroom workers, if they're working day in and day out in those environments with no air circulation and filtration, no masks, of course, eventually your body will take, like, it'll just hit its peak. It won't be able to defend exactly. itself. That's but right. in most cases, though, if you are robust and healthy, you could work in an environment like that for a short period of time and not feel the effects of it. No, that's absolutely right. And, and you know, I think you touched on a really important subject, and that is, you know, what we're trying to do health-wise is find a balance. We're looking for that sort of homeostasis. We're yes. looking to where, you know, because disease, disease is really getting out of balance. That's what yeah. it's all about. And, and so, you know, like you say, I mean, the idea that you should stop taking in these nutrients because somebody has said, oh, you, you've got candida. I mean, what you should really be doing, first of all, is staying out of the processed foods area totally. and eating all of those uh, fresh, organic foods, produce, and so on, and changing your diet. And, and I would hope that naturopaths, and I think they do more than physicians, would focus on the diet and people eating properly. But, you know, in, in a lot of ways are not too different from physicians in the sense that, I mean, for, for one, they, they don't really have much of a clue about mushrooms. like Or, nutri- or nutrition yeah, and as that's, well. That's and really a shame, I mean. And it's because there's so many nutritional myths that are out there that are, you know, these fad diets that I think that even, you know, a savvy natural path will jump onto, you know, like I have a lot of, you know, clients that'll come to me and all of a sudden it's like 80% of my clients that just saw their natural path are on the keto diet. And I'm like, seriously, like, you know, and it's because they read a little bit of research on it, but it's not even good scientific research. I'm like, a study of six does not equate scientific research. Absolutely. You know, whereas the research that is held true throughout, you know, decades and decades and even centuries and centuries is, you know, a complex abundance of diverse nutrients from multiple sources that are all in their whole food form, like, you know, but people will then like everybody needs to eat avocados now, like just keep eating avocados and that'll save your health. But that's, you know, it's, it's yes, avocados can be part of that diverse diet, but not have to be eaten every single day and every single meal, just like, you know, almonds don't have to be eaten every single day and every single meal. Right. So, you know, it's a shame that the answer is actually quite simple, but it's made very complex by a lot of people who want to have the perfect cure for things through these, you know, one hit wonders. Well, yeah. And you you know, one of the things too, that I, 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 kind of like to push back on a little bit is there's there's this idea out there that 
that we're fighting and it's a war on this. And this is especially, mm -hmm. you know, a U.S. kind of thing. Everything is a war. And, oh, we've got a, we've got a, a war on this disease, a, a war on cancer, a war on this, a war on that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know what? I mean, maybe we've got a bit of a, a, a struggle, but let's not get down into this whole concept of somehow we have to destroy this thing. This gets back to the whole idea again of balance and that's really a very eastern concept and mm -hmm. we have a lot to learn from them over just like traditional chinese medicine that's what they're trying to do they they're looking at and and actually diagnosing you and going okay you're out of balance because of certain factors and now we're going to try and bring you back into balance in some way whereas mm -hmm. over here it's just like you know, black and white, and oh, we've, we've just got to go in and, and uh, destroy that, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and to me, that's just an absolutely faulty way to, to characterize what's going on. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that standpoint. And that's why what I love about the therapy I teach in our Eat Real to Heal program is that it's all about imbalance. So when the toxicity is too high in the body, because the body, not just from external toxicity, like let's say mold or let's say pesticides or anything, you know, but actually your own body, if your body can't move its metabolic waste out, then that's when it can cause damage in the body. So we have toxicity is high, nutrition is low. And and when we restore that balance, it's amazing how diseases just disappear. Even the diseases where the doctor said, you're going to have this for the rest of your life. You're going to have to live on these drugs. Don't worry. We've got surgery to take care of that if it gets really bad. And then all of a sudden, we just, you know, this balance comes in. And then all of a sudden, the disease shifts and it's no longer present. And, you know, and the person is not suffering from the symptoms. And voila, the body is healed. And, it's, and it seems like magic. And it's not magic. It's yeah. just the body was out of balance. Absolutely. And, yeah. And so, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that standpoint. And we do need um, to be studying a lot of these ancient Eastern traditions more and there needs, you know, much more of uh, that merging of the two. Yeah. And maybe this is the next leg in this whole journey of East meets West, because yeah. isn't it interesting how, I mean, I remember I started doing some yoga exercises back in 1971. Well, you must've been in a cult, I think. <laughs> Well, it's so interesting because, you know, back then it was kind of a little bit odd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, um, now, of course, yoga is just mainstream, right? I <laughs> totally know. mainstream. And 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 I'm thinking about that in a dietary way too. We're still so far mm -hmm. from having a true and balanced and nutritious diet i mean all you have to do is walk into a standard supermarket yeah. and it hits you right in the face it's like i mean when i go to this the market going into the in inner aisles is just like no nah, i don't oh. need much i don't need anything in in there you know it's like no um and, and you know in tofino we we actually have one supermarket which is not bad. And then we had a small natural food store, which was wonderful because they brought in all the organic it's produce. So that great, our, that our store. Did not. That, however, went out of business about a year oh, ago, which was did. like, oh my 
we just had a new one now move in and just opened up a couple of weeks ago. So I'm like, wow, fantastic. About time yeah. <laughs> we got our natural food store back. Well, they're so important. Like for myself, we have one in Pemberton. It's called Stay Wild. And thank goodness she exists because we wouldn't be able to get, to, and she only has a tiny little produce section, but it actually is everything you need because the whole store is basically your produce and then, you know, your natural, you know, products that you need. And it's a small store and you don't need these big, massive groceries because we don't need all the inner aisles. You just need to build a store that has the outer aisles and you're actually set to go. Like it's it's brilliant, less floor space, less everything, less rent. It's, you know, and every community though definitely needs one. And I, I remember the natural food store that was in Tofino. Every time we'd go there, you know, we go two or three times a year. And I mean, we would spend so much money there just because it was available and yes we don't have to order it in or you know wait for it to come in the mail so it's brilliant having those stores they're golden absolutely right yeah so we okay so let's let's go back to mushrooms because i want to um help our audience understand you know what are so they can buy any variety of mushrooms that you know are obviously organically grown in the store add them to your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can have them as snacks. You can eat them raw and cooked, or is there? Well, you know what? You, you can. Um, raw mushrooms, you're really better off cooking them, I think. Okay. Um, but you'll get uh, more nutrients that way. Yeah. Uh, but, but don't worry about eating them raw. If you, if you feel like you want to eat them raw, that's not really an issue. Okay. So yeah. So, and we say the same thing about when you're eating a lot of the vegetables that are out there, I mean, cook them because you actually will access more nutrients out of them. Um, and the caloric intake actually even goes up technically when you cook them as well, it makes, um, more nutrients bioavailable to you and easier to digest yeah, as well. Certainly. That's right. That's yeah. absolutely right. Because mushrooms are, are really not that easy to digest to begin with because they have a, a compound in their cell walls called chitin. Uh, And that will kind of lock in some of the nutrients and make it a little more. We don't digest mushrooms in our stomach. They're they're all being digested down in the the intestines. And so that chitin is part of that. And that's why mushrooms are so high in fiber because everything is kind of locked in with that. Right. Okay. So that's good to know. So we always cook our mushrooms. I love the texture of them when they're cooked so much more. And they're so much more flavorful too when they're cooked. They're like amazing. And let me give you a tip on that too, because um, a lot of people, I mean, have you ever talked to a a young child of five to 10 and you ask them, Hey, you never eat mushrooms. Oh, those slimy mushrooms, horrible. (laughs) And I'm like, they haven't been cooked properly. Oh, interesting. I'm always telling people hot pan because if, if the heat's too low, what happens? You throw your mushrooms in there, the water comes right out of them. Right. So unless you're cooking a gravy, which, you know, I'm normally not, um, you have to cook on a high heat. What that does is that seals the the moisture into the mushroom. Um, I like to kind of brown them up. I I cut them maybe a quarter of an inch Mm -hmm. uh, wide. I don't, I don't like not too thin. Um, I'll brown them up on each side. Use whatever oil people want to use for that. I'll I'll use butter. I Mm -hmm. normally, um, cook them up. I cook them a little longer than normal, uh, but I do like both sides kind of browned up. Mushrooms will shrink. 
Yeah. When you, when you, you chop them up, you think, oh my God, I've got a lot. You throw them in the pan afterwards. Like, where'd they go? Yeah. So <laughs> to about half the size. Yeah. And, and uh, but that's really important because otherwise if you cook them on a low heat, they, the water will come out. They will just be this slimy, soggy mess and, and yeah. uh, nobody will like them. Your kids will hate you. No, I'm not going to eat those mushrooms. They'll have a, the plate at the end of the meal, all these mushrooms laying there. <laughs> so, so definitely. Right. I like them that way. Actually, I love how the texture is a little bit slimy, but yeah, no, I can see from our, like three, three kids, you know, they're yeah. my youngest is for sure adverse to slimy mushrooms, but I have had mushrooms where they're probably, they must've been cooked on a high temperature because it's almost like eating a tofu even like, yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah. amazing. So then on the supplement side, let's talk about the supplements. Where can we get them from? What are, you know, let's talk about where we can order them from or buy them from in a store and how do we take them and which kind do we take for whatever it is that we're, we're trying to achieve. I don't well, want to call well, it an ailment, but yeah, for health well, purposes. Yeah. Well, you know what? There, there's a lot of different species out there. I mean, we sell probably about 10 different species, but if you're, if you're just interested in taking one mushroom uh, as a supplement, I would highly recommend reishi mushroom. Mm-hmm. Reishi mushroom is what we call a polypore. It doesn't have gills. It has pores. Right. Reishi is actually hard and woody. So it's not a mushroom that you would eat. It's only used for medicinal purposes, maybe making a tea or something. In supplement form, it would come in a powder. Reishi is considered to be kind of the top medicinal mushroom in Asia. It's called the mushroom of immortality. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we all want to be immortal. Yes. Um, and, and it has a very high amount of these beta-glucans. It also has other compounds in there. They're called triterpenoids. These triterpenoids make that reishi mushroom bitter. So, mm-hmm. so if you happen to have a reishi supplement, uh, pour, take it out of the capsule and taste it. If it is not bitter, it's not reishi. And this mm-hmm. goes back to all these grainy products out there. Right. So, okay, so, so that's good. Reishi is, is very good for immunity as well as for your liver. I, I was at a conference once. Uh, I spoke to a traditional Chinese medicine with a reishi conference. Uh, TCM doctor there, he said reishi was his number one herb for the liver. So mm. if, if you, you know, need a little bit more, uh, you know, cleansing or anything like that, reishi is really good for that. So I would recommend reishi there. Um, the one that is also really interesting right now is a, a mushroom called lion's mane. Yeah. So t- let's talk about lion's mane because my daughter does have a concussion again, being a snowboarder and whistler. Uh, and yes, I've heard about lion's mane for brain health. And yeah, let's talk about that. Well, yeah. And, and lion's mane actually has shown the ability to regenerate uh, damaged nerves as well. So that's something mm. where lion's mane could come in handy. Lion's mane actually stimulates something called nerve growth factor. And nerve growth factor is an amino acid that we produce. And what it does, it helps to organize and maintain neurons. And, mm, and you know, younger people are going to be producing a lot of these neurons as they uh, grow. As we get older, Uh, our neurons start to get a little bit worn out. And so they've actually done some really interesting studies uh, in Japan using uh, uh, older people, say in their 70s, two different groups. So they've got a control group. They give them a battery of tests. Uh, 120 days later, they they 
uh, um, test them again. The people taking the lion's mane do much better than the control group. Mm. They stop taking it 30 days later. They test them again. Now they're doing about the same. So mm. they've shown cognitive uh, um, abilities to be enhanced. A lot of people are taking lion's mane for, for that. But I think in general, just in terms of overall uh, nerve growth. and Throughout the whole uh, body. Yeah, uh, yeah, lion's mane is really, really good. And, and if you're lucky, but mm-hmm. um, generally speaking, you'd have to probably be in Vancouver to actually find fresh lion's mane. Delicious, delicious right. mushroom. So taking it fresh versus taking the supplement form, what's the difference there? Well, again, when you're eating a fresh mushroom, what, what happens is that, A, it, it's kind of like, you know what it's like? to tell people, chew your food. Yes. It's like most people are not chewing enough. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's just kind of common. And so let's face it. I mean, you know how a dog will just go like gulp. Yeah. You know, one bite. Well, same with, with people will, you know, depending on the person, sometimes the person will chew a long time. Sometimes they won't. So, so when you're eating a mushroom, generally speaking, you're not getting the full benefits from that. You right. are getting benefits. So that's why I still say definitely use it because be all that fiber in there that will feed your microbiome but in terms of getting those medicinal compounds um certainly a supplement can help that way but again like i say if you have fresh mushrooms there start there put them into your diet and see if you can see some positive changes there but if you really feel like you want to you know one up that yeah, from a medicinal standpoint. And also from, I mean, we say the same thing as well. There's um, particular supplements that our clients have to take because of the fact that they would have to eat like 30 pounds of the vegetable to be able to get the same amount. And we don't have the yeah. time for them to chew and digest and eat that before, you know, so because we need to bring their levels back up quickly if we want to see the results that we're going for. So yes, it's yes, the same yes. as well. So, um, so when, so can they order directly from um, your company? which is Namex, correct? Namex, yeah. Namex actually is a uh, uh, raw material supplier. So we supply oh. bulk product, uh, but we have a retail side okay. called Real Mushrooms. Okay. So they can, they can get the products at realmushrooms.com. Okay, great. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, again, the whole thing that we try to and I try to educate people about is just to be very careful. These are 100% mushroom products. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've even been extracted once, which helps to break down the fibers and makes it more bioavailable. I mean, this is kind of like what you're talking about with cooking, you know, and it's just like the reason why we drink tea rather than just eat those tea herbs, right? Mm-hmm. Because we want it to be more bioavailable. So so that's what we do with our products. The real mushroom products are, are really great. So that's where they can get them. They can get them online from the real mushroom store. Also, we've got a ton of great information on yeah. both sites, Namex and real mushrooms. And, and uh, that's where you can you know dive a little deeper. Yeah, you have your blog, you have recipes, you have um, more information. So with the, um, so let's talk about this because I know um, in the supplement world, 
there's a misconception that supplements are bad for you. And yes, there's certain supplements, just like in the mushroom world, that there's lots of fillers and dyes, and a lot of people can tend to feel sick from those fillers and dyes versus, you know, when my clients are working with me, we go directly to a compounding pharmacy. There's no marketing on like any of the supplements. There's no fillers. There's no dyes. There's basically the compounding agent, which is as, again, healthy and as natural as can be. And our clients do very well on them because, and they're potent because of the fact that there's no fillers and dyes. So instead of, you know, a lot of supplements, um, a lot of supplements, like you might have to take the whole bottle before you even get the actual dosage that it says, you know, is contained oh, so in each pill, right? That is so true. And, and you know what, that, that's um, something that, again, you just have to be very careful. And, and, you know, part of it too, is sometimes you can, you can talk to friends who've used a certain brand. Uh, Real Mushrooms does, we do two things. And, and this is something about, which is unfortunate about encapsulation. When when any of these products are being encapsulated, mm -hmm. the encapsulator has to put in a few different things to make things kind of flow better with the machine. Right. Now, Real Mushrooms has capsules, but it also sells the powders in a pouch. Right. I love the stand-up pouch. I think it's just a great way to basically no matter what kind of product is dry products, a pouch is so cool. Um, anyway, so they can get, you can get the products in the pouch and then it's just a hundred percent, the pure mushroom powder, the mushroom extract powder. So that's the, one of the things that we do. So to make sure that um, now if you're, if you're ordering the reishi, be prepared, it is bitter. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually a coffee drinker. I'll, I will put that into my coffee in the morning. And so that's how I get my mushroom supplement besides the fact that I probably eat more mushrooms than anybody else in the world. but Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, and, and so talking about it being a supplement though, like I know a lot of people ask me, they're like, oh my gosh, isn't that dangerous? And when you actually look um, through the CDC and you look for, you know, research on how many people have been affected by supplements, I mean, compared to the number, I mean, it's actually handfuls compared to the number of people that literally die at the hands of pharmaceutical synthetic drugs. Oh. So- and so can you take too many, too much mushrooms? Well, no, not really. And that's, that's one of the beautiful things about them. I mean, you know, like mushrooms, they're foods. So when you're talking about taking a mushroom supplement, I mean, okay, we've processed it with extraction, which is mm -hmm. a good thing. We do have some concentrates, which are a little more uh, potent, but no, there's no problem there. These are food products. They've, they're time tested you're not going to have any problems with them. But listen, here's something that I, I tell people even before they start to eat mushrooms is, is look, I, I don't care what food it is. Mm -hmm. Don't sit down to a food for the first time and eat a huge plate of something totally. and then later go, what's going on? What's yeah. happening? Start out, you know, slowly start out, have a, a small amount. Do you like how it feels with your body? How does your, what does your body tell you about that food? And then you can go back and start to eat a little more. I mean, yeah. that, that to me is just sort of like common knowledge. But a lot of times people don't do it and they just like, oh, this tastes so good. And then later on, they're like, oh, why did I do that? Well, this is where, I mean, I, we've talked about this before and my podcast is co common knowledge. Like what is common knowledge in this day and age? Because it, you know, and for all the listeners out here, yes, I am talking about you because you've done this. Okay. So someone out there says, you know, Huffington Post says red wine has 
health benefits. And then all of a sudden you're like, I could drink bottles of red wine. <laughs> That's not what the study said. Yeah, it said right. resveratrol is a component that contributes to health. You can also get it through grapes. But even if it's grapes, then people are like, I'm just going to eat grapes all day long. I'm going to do the grape diet, the grape cleanse, the grape this. And so people, please, like common sense really at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you what common sense is. And common <laughs> sense is we are humans and diversity and abundance is all around us. And think about that diversity and abundance and, you know, eat a little bit of everything as opposed to going and eating a lot of everything. And what we found is in the world when us humans who use our common sense, so to speak, you know, like all of a sudden it's like, what's happening in the world now? Well, avocado or almond trees are like decimating our environmental systems because everybody wants almonds and everything. So we need a little bit more, I'll say moderation. And I hate using that word because then that's when people are like, oh, but I can have McDonald's in moderation and I can, no, no. Moderation does not apply to the refined food world. So, you know, this is where common sense and moderation are these two words that I'm like, ah, oh, but most people, um, you know, with the meat and it's not their fault. It's media, it's marketers, it's, you know, this, you know, so much information on social media and, and we just don't know how to actually like filter through the the garbage that's out there to actually get what's true and real. But I mean, true common sense from an innate human intelligence form would say, you know, that, you know, start yeah, off slow. Like, yeah. Just go crazy with something like that. And you know what? I, I think what you just said is really, really important. And, and it, it's just kind of uh, how to live your life. And, and it's the same with, with just kind of, looking at everything as black and white, mm -hmm. you know, just, just like I do my best to try to live in a very environmentally friendly way. I can't do that a hundred percent because there are times when I have to drive my car somewhere. I walk a lot. So That's I awesome. don't use my car a lot. I'm lucky here in Tofino. We have yeah. a, a multi-use path that I can walk That's to the beach. Awesome. I can walk to town. Wonderful. I love walking, but you know, nobody can be sort of a hundred percent living that perfect life or anything. You know, that's just not the society that we live in, but we do have to be conscious of living the life and doing it in an ecologically friendly way and in a sustainable way, because that's the big issue. Mm -hmm. Everybody is consuming too much for one. I mean, it's yeah. just like, we have to think about that. Yeah, no. Yeah, we definitely have to. I just read a really good, um, uh, I'm reading the book Braiding Sweetgrass, which for anybody out there who's, you know, um, heard of it or read of it, read it, knows like just how beautifully written it is. But it's, you know, it's really a book all about indigenous culture and um, written through the, through the uh, life of this one girl. And and it's just, it's incredible that there's one line in there that said, that's so beautifully written that says, um, everyone can be indigenous and live by those principles, but it means that basically, and so people think of, you know, First Nations, Aboriginal, um, indigenous peoples as being a certain, you have to be born with the DNA inside of you. And what she writes in this book is that no, that what makes you indigenous is the fact that you are living now for the future generations. 
And I just love that so much because it means that we are regarding the way that we interact every day in our world by not over consuming, by planting gardens, by, you know, living as sustainably as we can be, because you're not just thinking about yourself, you're thinking about your great, 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 great grandchildren. And I love this so much because if we could all start applying that now, well, number one, then we can break down this them versus us or us versus them and we can truly all become indigenous to this land and then start treating it as it truly you know needs to be and from that then we'll see this flourishing of nature and respect and harmony that right now quite frankly is um quite dismal in my opinion but i think we, oh yeah but through, you know, having people like you on our show and, you know, you sharing your knowledge with all of the people that you share it with and then, you know, people taking small steps every day. I mean, we can definitely get there. For yeah. And, and sure. I think everybody has to, to stay conscious of that despite what's going on. And, and, and sometimes people say, oh, what can I do? It's just, you know, I'm one person, all this is like, well, you just have to live your life in a righteous way and stay in mm -hmm. harmony with uh, what's around you and that's what's really important i mean i do things because i want to do those things i feel it's important for me as a living hum human being mm -hmm. and and you know i don't care if it i'm you know it's not always convenient or something like that like i i take public transportation a lot so, so sometimes when I leave, leave Tofino, I don't take my car. I just get on the bus and let it take awesome. me out. And, and I, I like that better. Yeah. You can read and think and work. Yeah. Even just watch and interact and observe others. And, Absolutely. you know, which is also very fun and exciting to do as long as we're not judging them, but truly just like saying like, oh, I am part of this network of humans and this is what we're doing. And um, yes. yeah, it's. It is. I love taking the bus too. I mean, living in Pemberton, it's a little bit more challenging because the bus only comes in one, twice a day, but my daughters take the bus and they love it because of the fact that they get to listen to their music and um, they read books. I mean, it is a brilliant thing and we have to stop looking at taking the bus as like the poor man's travel um, because it can be actually, it, you can become so rich in the experience of actually using public transportation. That's a perfect way to say it. I mean, I mean, rich, it's a much more uh, enriching uh, environment. If you're, if you're in your little spaceship, yeah. you never react to, you never have these other people there. You're just this little spaceship cruising down to wherever you're going and yeah. you know, listening to whatever. Yeah. And, and it's just not the same as being able to go on that, uh, that bus. Yeah, I'll share a little story of what I do every time I go and take the bus. And it comes, goes way back to this. Um, I'm sure so many people, well, I hope a lot of people have read it. It's, um, oh my gosh, what is it called? The Celestine Prophecy, which I read oh, like yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. I, that's way, yeah, that's really <laughs> interesting. That was such a, a big book in its time, wasn't it? A huge book. And my daughter just read it. And I was so shocked that she picked it up off the bookshelf because I saved it specifically for when I would have children. Because there's just these nuggets in there that are, you know, so wonderful. They're wonderful principles yes. to live by. But one of them that I always remembered is, you know, that there's no coincidences. So if you're standing at the bus stop beside someone, you're there beside that person for a reason. So don't just you know ignore them and sit on your iPhone and back then when he wrote it there was no iPhones but you know don't just sit on your iPhone and actually just say 
Hey, how's it going? So since I read that book, I've done that every single time when I'm, I'm like, you and I are meant to be standing together, buddy. Sorry that I'm going to interrupt your little bubble, but it has led to some of the most fantastic friendships that I have, some of the most amazing conversations. And that's all you got to do is just introduce yourself to that person at the bus stop. And you never know what's going to come out of that, you know, interaction. But I just think it's um, also another way to enrich in your life, especially in a world where a lot of people are so lonely, right? Um, So true. Yeah. 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 No, it is very enriching. And and I I much prefer that to just getting in my little spaceship. (laughs) Yeah. No, exactly. So what are some things and tips that you'd like to, or knowledge, or, I mean, you've shared so many incredible nuggets with um, our audience, but, you know, before we wrap up here, what are... um, well, actually, before I ask you that, I want to just go into the shamanic route because I know that there's a lot of listeners out there. So what does it mean to use mushrooms in a shamanic environment, let's say? Well, you know, it's really interesting because um, uh, mushrooms were used in Mexico and, and worldwide for thousands and thousands. They're probably as far back as you can remember, mushrooms were a part of our human societies and and hidden back in the mountains of mexico which is so interesting what were still groups that were using mushrooms in traditional healing and what they would do is is at night they would bring the 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 uh, um, curandera would bring the, the patient in and they would have uh, an altar and candles and they would have uh, a copal incense, which is really a wonderful incense. And they would both take these mushrooms and then she would um, basically try to divine what's going on with this person. And, and you know, in a way it's kind of like, um, now they're using these uh, psilocybin mushrooms actually in therapy where they're giving the person this and they're having this experience and it is helping them with their mental illnesses or it's helping people who are at end of life and are fearful and they're giving them the the mushrooms and that's helping them to actually uh, come to terms with their end of life. So there's really interesting things they're doing with it. But back in the fifties, some uh, a, a New York banker and his Russian wife, who were real mushroom enthusiasts, came across some information about people back there in the mountains of Mexico. They went down there and, so to speak, discovered this going on. And, and can you imagine? The, nobody in the world knew that this was still going on and it was hidden and you had to literally to get back up into some of these areas you had to get on horseback to go back yeah. up there or walk in because there was no roads they went down there they spent five or six summers they uh went around with the local people and found these different mushrooms and uh, attended some of these ceremonies and and then kind of brought this back to um, our culture, and, and that actually formed a part of, I guess you'd say, the 60s and what was going on in the 60s, because, right. of course, we had Albert Hofmann, who discovered LSD. We yeah. had, all of a sudden, psilocybin mushrooms that were there. So there's a lot of shamanism, so to speak, going on amongst my generation at the time. And, and you know, one of the things that happened there was that 
we had no guides. We had no guidelines. Everybody yeah. was just kind of taking it and, and doing it. But, but a lot of positive things came out of it, despite the way that the culture demonized it, which was very unfortunate, just because, yeah. well, I mean, they demonized the whole counterculture long hair totally strange dress it just like freaked them out totally yeah so so the point is is that out of that came a number of things that were very important one of which was okay if you're going to consume something like this you have to remember and think about set and setting set yeah. means where are you going to do it are you going to do it out there and walk through whistler and go oh you know and like up uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> or are you going to do it at home with friends in a safe environment and somebody maybe is, is going to deal with the door and the phone and all that? Um, okay, set. And then setting. What's on your mind? Are you right. all stressed out over something? And then you take these and it's like times a hundred yeah and you all of a sudden descend into like a, a hell-like state and and there was a, a very famous uh, philosopher Aldous Huxley and he wrote a book called heaven and hell and he experienced this at a certain point in his later life and he said basically look you can go down either one of these paths it's not you know, and a lot just depends on, again, your state of mind, how you're doing it. And you can, you can either descend into totally uh, fearful and instead of, instead of coming out and experiencing this oneness, you go back in, in a frightened state and experience the exact opposite. So that, that's where the whole set and setting comes in. And I think today mm -hmm. people have a much better understanding of that so that when you are looking to consume some of these things do it in the right way i mean maybe maybe too the right way is to is to get out in nature and some yeah. people like to do this on a beautiful day you're walking around in the woods place you know well and you're just experiencing uh the whole environment around you and especially in your own particular ecosystem it's a wonderful thing so so yeah. I look at it in a very positive way and, and you know, it's really interesting because today I, you know, I, I've had lots of friends that have been in jail for marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you're just like, you know, my generation, lots of people went to jail over it mm -hmm. and now, and I thought never going to be legalized. Yeah. Wow. Canada, yeah. you've legalized it. My God. <laughs> and, and yeah. it's the same with these other um, psychoactive plants like now in fact yes we can see that we they can be very beneficial for us and they are very beneficial if used in the right way so so yeah. I'm very optimistic in that sense that maybe that prohibition is over and we can start to utilize these and they can help to bring us back in touch with the natural world, which I think is really important. 
Yeah. And I definitely, in the world of psychiatry and um, neuroscience and psychology, and especially with the state of mental health in um, this day and age as well, you know, 90% of my clients that come to me with heart disease and diabetes, I mean, they're also on antidepressants. And when I ask them, how are those antidepressants working for you? Well, they're not working for them at all. And so, when I've seen certain clients like on their own, they go out and they discover, um, you know, different plant medicines. It's been actually really profound to watch what's happened in their life and watch them get off these, you know, pharmaceutical meds. And, and you brought up a word where you said oneness, and this has come up amongst, you know, my clients that have gone out there and found um, medicinal mushrooms. And where they've worked with a guide, they've worked with a shaman, they've worked, um, you know, to go inward. And in fact, you know, they had to sometimes go through hell to get to heaven. But the consistent word that they use when they come out is this feeling of oneness and that we are all connected. And it fundamentally changes how they behave in the world. They change their profession they change their partners, they stop consuming less, they're more in touch with nature, they're eating a clean diet because they understand that connection, their connection as themselves, that they're not even just connected to nature, they are nature, they are one with it. And that has been for me, probably one of the most profound things that I've been able to witness, um, you know, through you know, just understanding, you know, what, what these medicinal mushrooms um, can do for you and medicinal plants can do for you as well. So that part, I'm very excited about, like you said, this prohibition being lifted and to see it enter into the world of, um, and unfortunately it'll probably become synthesized. <laughs> so just become like another medicine, but you know, it's, but I think there's a lot of potential there for sure. Well, yeah. And you, you cannot imagine how many, um, companies have come to me and wanted me to be a part of their uh, organization or business or whatever mm. it is for me to either advise them or in some way get involved with them because and unfortunately most of these companies are just companies that want to make money oh. and, and that does not resonate with me. Yeah. We've been, I've been approached to where people have, you know, healed from our therapy and then their doctors learn about it. And then the doctors train with us. And then right away, the doctors are like, okay, so listen, so, you know, we can standardize this. And if we can, and I'm like, how are we going to standardize romaine lettuce? How are we going to standardize carrots, you know, apple juice? How do we standardize, you know, this, you know, natural herb for liver detoxing, like, come on people, but they're just like, that's the first thing. So I've gotten approached by that too. And I think it's just so, but it takes away again, just from, you know, when we try and standardize and synthesize all of this stuff, I mean, we lose that connection to nature, right? Oh, for yeah. sure. It makes it more available to people, but at the same time, there is the process of, having to wash the vegetables or, you know, look at the mushroom or, you know, that's all part of the, the healing and understanding and learning that needs to take place as well. It can't just all be, yeah, yeah packaged and, and know, prescribed. And part of it too, for me is, is look, you can learn from teachers out there. There's lots of teachers that can teach you things, but please do not put these people up onto a pedestal and yeah. then, they're a guru and everything totally. they says, you're going to go along with, 
please be careful about that because you are your own guru. Yeah, you are. But unfortunately, I mean, so many people I think are looking for that because they're alone. They need guidance. They're not ready to trust their intuition. They're not ready to see that they're the ones who are actually, they have autonomy, right? They hand over that autonomy to somebody else. And, yeah. and it doesn't have to be that way. Like you can just, you know, these people can be there just to help walk beside you, but they don't have to lead you. That's and right. yeah. And this is really important because I have seen that happen. We've had friends that have packed up and moved and to be next to their gurus and you know it's you know but it doesn't have to be like that and no it you know. doesn't it doesn't no yeah oh my gosh jeff this has been so exciting i have to admit that um because i have been uh not you i mean i use mushrooms probably daily um but i don't use it with my clients and now it just has invigorated me to want to go down that path to you know understand it more and to see how potentially it can be added as um you know a complement and in addition to uh, you know the therapy that i teach my clients and um there's a bunch of reading i want to do heaven and hell is definitely one of them um i want to read up all about the beta glucans and um you know and, and everything that you mentioned i love that you have these great websites so we're going to include those in the links so going back to my original question what is is there any final words of wisdom that you'd like to impart on our audience before we wrap up? Absolutely. I've got a great poem for you. And, oh. and by the way, when you do look up Aldous Huxley, be sure to get his book called Island. Island? Island. Okay, great. Beautiful, beautiful book. I, I'm going to leave you with um, an ancient Chinese poem. <laughs> um, without leaves, without buds, without flowers, yet they form fruit as a food, as a tonic, as a medicine. The entire creation is precious. Wow. That is a perfect way to wrap this up. Thank you, Jeff, for being on our show. It has been such a pleasure. And I know we're going to have to do this again because there's so many topics that I still want to dive in there with you. And um, for anybody who is listening, you know what to do. Share this episode with all of your friends because the information that Jeff has shared today is sure to help your friends and family and loved ones to turn their health around and make it better. Thanks, Jeff, for being here. Thanks, Nicolette. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Welcome back. How many of you are so excited to dive deep into the literature of mushroom cultivation? You can grow mushrooms on your back patio. You can grow mushrooms in your backyard. You literally can grow them anywhere. All you need is a piece of wood. We're doing it here on our farm, thanks to Mary Lynn Tremblay, who manages our retreat center. So learn more about mushrooms through Jeff Chilton's websites. He shared all of that information with you and the notes, uh, that information is in our show notes. Thanks to Becky and the incredible work she does behind the scenes, editing our podcast and getting it live so that you can listen to it on your device, on your computer, watch the videos on YouTube. So thanks Becky for all the work that you do as well with bringing the Eat Real to Heal podcast to audiences all around the world. Now, you know what to do, people. 
If you liked any aspect of the show, please go ahead and hit the up arrow, the share button and share it with your friends and family so they can learn all about mushrooms or any of our other shows. Learn all about how potatoes are incredibly healthy. You can listen to Spudfit Taylor, Andrew Taylor, talk about how he ate potatoes for an entire year so that he can overcome his eating disorder, so that he was able to overcome his clinical depression, diabetes, heart conditions, his poor health, and reclaim himself as the athlete that he once was. And so learn all about him. You can check out the shows that we've done with medical doctors, with um, Aaron Spitz, Dr. Aaron Spitz, who talks all about um, um, ED, a condition that many, many men have, but how it's really truly a result of a poor diet. So learn all about vascular health by listening to Dr. Spitz's show here on the Eat Realty Hill podcast. And of course, we have dozens of other shows that you can listen to. So go ahead, do your job, share our episode episodes, our podcast with your friends and family so you can help them understand how to use food as medicine to heal themselves so they can reclaim their lives. Thanks everyone for being here and stay tuned for our next episode coming up next week. Bye for now. 